It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Signal Boost, this is Jess McIntosh. I'm with Julina Maxwell. It's K-Pop Tuesday, and we have Juanita Tolliver, MSNBC political analyst, on the phone. Juanita, how are you doing this morning? I'm holding up. I was grooving to that K-pop, though. Right? <laughs> we, we do this on that. Tuesday. You better, you better. Because Tuesdays are tough. Tuesdays yeah, are no, hard. Yeah, no, Tuesdays are a hard day. And it wakes us up. No, it wakes Real. us It literally has made my life better. K-pop is, is a phenomenon. It is fantastic. It's like every genre, so find you, find the group that you you can stand and get your life in the pandemic. That's oh, my I've advice. I've done to Blackpink 100%. Um, oh, so how many good. times have I watched Light Up the Sky on Netflix? How many oh, times yeah. have I watched their live performance? <laughs> many so times. So I am fully in on this. Love, fully love, in. love, Blackpink love. all day. Yes. Yes, that's where I started. I remember when I started, that was where I started. And I was like, I'm Blackpink Black sounds Pink. like the gateway K-pop. No, no, no. It, feel, it feels like it really, really is. And then I remember I got that really, 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 really long but very, very kind email from a BTS mm-hmm. army. And they were like, I mean, but you can really be BTS and all of these. I mean, it was like biographical information <laughs> about the members. And I was like, this is really intense, but also just very nice email. But also like, you're wrong, but like in the nicest way. Oh, oh, it was like, the best. Yeah, like, I, it, it's frameable, honestly. Yeah, it was really like funny. here's a, here's an eleven paragraph reputation <laughs> of the one thing that you didn't say that I wish you had, and all the history you <laughs> know. So the next time you talk about it, you can mention my favorite group. I'm like, wow, the commitment on this. It was it was very long funny. commitment. It was, it was beautiful. Funny. Yeah. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, that's not why we're here today. <laughs> right. Um, oh. We are here today to talk about yeah. the destruction of democracy uh, and the president. He said he was going to stand in the breach and make sure that that didn't happen. No one's going to hold a dagger to the throat of democracy on Joe Biden's watch. How do you feel about him going to Georgia today? There's some activists who are less than happy with the fact that it's a speech and not an announcement of a deal. Um, what do you think he needs to do to make today a success? Is, is, that, is that a possibility for him at this point? Look, I, I want to start by saying I wish the president had stood in the breach from the day he was inaugurated. Can Max. we can we just name Max. that? I know we can't turn back time. Listen, I know yeah. this isn't a share song, but the reality is he spent a year not fighting for this. It took what ten months before he even said the filibuster needs to be changed and reformed. And so at this point, he needs to fight point blank. And he put it on the back burner for a year. We need to see him fighting, especially after we saw him power through other legislative priorities like the infrastructure bill, like the American Rescue Plan, like the carve out that just magically appeared for the raising the debt limit. And I feel like what we're hearing from activists is do all of that again. Keep that same energy for us, because, look, there is nothing unreasonable at all. And this is coming from a girl who started in politics by working field. There's nothing Mm -hmm. unreasonable about organizers and activists who delivered for Democrats, who delivered for Biden, who delivered during a pandemic and a January 2021 runoff campaign 
There's nothing unreasonable about them saying, hey, we delivered for you, now do the same for us, period. And, and knowing that this is a largely multicultural coalition of organizations here, like it brings home the point of which populations will face the most barriers at the poll if there is no federal action, if there is no Freedom to Vote Act, if there is no John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And so we know those voter suppression laws are going to disproportionately harm Black voters, Latino voters, Indigenous voters, AAPI voters, low-income voters, voters living with disabilities and rural voters, right? We know who this hurts. And so all they're saying to Biden is stand up. And so today, like it needs to go beyond the symbolism. And I think the two main points that the president needs to hit on is like, look, let's let's recenter this and name the fact that Republicans uniform obstruction in their national campaign to suppress our vote and subvert elections is what brought us here. And the fact that they've absolved themselves of any responsibility of protecting our basic right to vote or protecting our democracy. That's why it's on Democrats alone to act. I think he also needs to name explicitly his path to getting an agreement on a talking filibuster at the very least, because we know Manchin and Cinema uh, and other Democrats, let's be real, who just have been less vocal about it, are hesitant about these changes. So tell us exactly how you're using those decades and decades of Senate experience to get there, because that's, that's the same energy he put again into the bipartisan infrastructure deal or the same energy he put into the American Rescue Plan. He needs to deploy those same tools right here, right now, and make a commitment to, to those organizers who, who did the most to have historic turnout and have two Democratic senators from Georgia and to be able to give Democrats the Senate um, in this cycle. And so making sure that he is talking to them and communicating them, I think, is going to be critical. Yeah. One of the things that I've, I keep thinking about is the fact that this really has to do with like you know the donors that are giving to Joe Manchin and Kirsten. Like, let's be really clear that this is this is also about campaign finance, and this is yeah. also about the fact that yes. Citizens United on you know allowed for unlimited donations coming from these corporations and and private people could be people, could be countries, could be like individuals from other countries also. Like it just like opened the door for for money flooding in. Um, that pers you know like influences behaviors of these legislators i mean that's what's happening so like the reason joe manchin is standing you know, you know joe biden is standing in the breach but joe manchin has been standing in the way not because he has some like moral objection or really loves the filibuster so much it's because of who's donating can we is the president going to address that part of it or is that too like on the line because you know there are some corporate democrats as well it's not like um, or even more uh, other Democrats that are, you know, corporate and funded by, you know, those groups that we don't we don't like to mention. They who, who would not be named. I would love for President Biden to step up and say, hey, all cash rules everything around me. Cream is the money. Right. Like, <laughs> Thank I you. Want him to call that out. I want him to name it. And you're right, there are a number of corporate Democrats, so Manchin isn't the only one. It just right. so happens that Manchin seems to be the one publicly obstructing anything good yes. from Biden's agenda, anything good that will help people. And what we've been seeing from reports is that during these negotiations, Manchin makes some headway. He's talking to folks like Senator Kane and Senator King, who he respects, both as former governors like him. and they'll make some headway and start to cover new ground. But the next day, oddly, 
somehow, some way, Manchin comes back with new questions and new concerns because he's getting those calls from those donors. He's getting those calls from those special interest groups and they're applying pressure to him. And so he it's it's honestly this debate of who talked to him last? Has the money called him today? Right. Like so naming that is a big part of this. And I, I wish President Biden would go there. I'm, 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 let's let's be real. Don't be <laughs> yeah. shocked that he won't, he won't. today. I, I do think that the Democratic Party has uh, has to come to terms with the reality that they they are not as um, unified in, in that awareness or even that progressive stance about who they owe their allegiances to. Because right now, cream is the money still. Sadly, I don't think Manchin's going to or Biden's going to touch on it today. We were sort of flirting with the idea at the start of the show that rather than go to Atlanta, this speech could have been given in Arizona or even in West Virginia. Do you think that that would have just would would that be too much of a thumb in the eye of the people that he needs? Or could that have maybe applied more pressure than going to the place where everyone is already working? I love the idea of take the fight to where it needs to be fought. Right. Like, but let's think back. What was that? Oh, gosh, one of. Vice President Harris's first trip yep. was to West Virginia. She said something that got mentioned upset. She and just did a local news interview. That was it. Like she just yeah. did the interview and he didn't know that it was going to happen. How dare you talk in my state? Right? right. Like that. that <laughs> right. right. As the vice president of America. Right. He felt so disrespected but by that. So so there's there is a delicate balance here. And we saw that delicate balance, what, in August of last year when Biden said, look, I want voting rights. There are two people standing in the way. That pissed off Manchin and Cinema. And now, like, so he, he does not want to escalate things with them. But I will say, at the cost of not escalating things with Manchin and Cinema, he's, he's kicking dirt kind of in the face of the organizers and the activists in Georgia by doing this kind of symbolic visit without any concrete uh, progress without any concrete action or next steps that he has taken or progress he has made in these negotiations. And so I, I, I'm sad that that's what it's come to in terms of some of these organizers feeling like, hey, we don't need to, we don't need to talk to you again. We don't need to hear you make another speech. We want action versus taking that rhetoric directly to Mansion and Cinema. On the flip side, we all know how things work in DC. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And so I want to name that there are probably conversations happening with Mansion and Cinema through the White House, as per like as per every other negotiation we've seen them engage in. And so hopefully he is making progress, but it's not looking great at this point. It feels I mean, like like there. I can't imagine an administration that is more attuned to the power of black voters. I mean, Kamala Harris is basically self-explanatory there, having been a black voter and mobilized black voters, like she she gets it. Joe Biden is sort of, he's, well, he's that rare white guy who whose career is owed to black voters. And he understands that, even, even in Delaware, he understood that. It, it feels like we have we have the right people like they get it. You know, they're, they're not coming. They're coming from a place that is not the average place for a Democratic, you know, some senator, frankly. Why, why do we think there's a disconnect here? Is there a disconnect is or, or what, like, why can't these two people who personally understand the power that black voters have deliver it? Like, why did <laughs> why is why is that tough? 
Look, I, I, I hear you. And even thinking back to what the night the election was called when Biden got on stages and said, we owe this to black voters. No, yes. we owe this to black women voters specifically, yes. right? Like he says it, we know he knows it. But at the end of the day, hmm. Jess, he put this on the back burner for a year. I know, he like, didn't I, make I, I would expect this from year. Pete Buttigieg, you know? Like, I, that wouldn't have surprised <laughs> me if President Buttigieg had done that. But but it's President Biden, he wouldn't be there and he knows it. I, I feel like even though he knows he wouldn't be there, he still is beholden to the same model of politics that prioritizes white voters, centrist voters first. And sadly, black, Latina, API, indigenous voters, we all still come last. And, and even though we deliver, and even though we set the margins, and even though we overwhelming vote for Democrats, that's the that's the infuriating part. And I think that's the infuriation and the energy that we're seeing from these activists on the ground. Yeah. You can't put us last anymore. And and at this point, you need to demonstrate that you're gonna fight like hell for us because you didn't do anything in your first year. Right. Like that, I think, is the 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 core of the sentiment that they're communicating by. Uh, look, we see a number of groups not going to his uh, speech or his events today. And, and that's what they're saying. You know, you need us, but you still do us wrong. Well, the, the, the part that's so frustrating is that Joe Manchin can with a straight face say, you know, Senate tradition and no reporters oh, are God. like, but you guys actually made an exception last week. For the debt ceiling. Period. And nobody's, I mean, I understand the debt ceiling is like, you know, if, if you if you don't raise the debt ceiling, it's catastrophic, right? For the, oh, yeah, for, we're, we're for, for, for making that exception. But it for all of it. But, you, but still, still voting is more important. Because the reason why the debt ceiling is a crisis is because we have elected people who make it so. It wasn't always a crisis. And so the, the ability of the average voter to affect change and say, hey, maybe we want to elect different people so that every couple of months there's not like some sort of financial cliff that we're, um, you know, right on the edge of because of partisan lawmakers who are, um, you know, being unreasonable about raising the debt ceiling or doing away with it completely. Like maybe we want to, we want to elect people like that, but we won't have that ability, but for access to the ballot box and protection of uh, the system so that the votes are counted properly. For me, it still feels like it is backwards to say, well, we, we got rid of it for the debt ceiling, but we won't want to do it to protect the democracy. If that is your sentence, you're backwards. Everything you're thinking about is backwards. Democracy and protecting voting is first that's the core that's the foundation you can't build a house without that i couldn't agree with you more Zerlina. like it is the core and it is in crisis a catastrophic crisis we are on a cliff related to our democracy and we saw that bubbling up throughout 2020 and let's be real well before and and january 6th was just the inflection point the, it was the kickoff point for the national what voter suppression campaign that Republicans have implemented at state houses across the country. 19 states passing voter suppression laws, states removing power from secretaries of states and replacing them with partisan individuals who can essentially flip an election on a dime or if Trump calls them in the future, find those 11,000 votes, right? Like, you are right. This is the foundation. This is a crisis. This is catastrophic. And that same little move that y'all did for the debt ceiling should apply here. I, I don't think that we're seeing that discourse more because let's be real, when you have 70% of Republicans still saying that Trump wasn't legitimately elected, 
You have 56% of Republicans saying that what happened on January 6th was about defending freedom. Even if reporters did ask that question, I assure you no Republican would say even the sentence that you said because they don't buy into the reality of what's at stake here. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to, a lack of acceptance of what the catastrophic crisis our democracy is facing right now. Yeah. How are you feeling about the January 6th committee movement that we have been seeing? We had we had uh, statements from Trump's lawyers yesterday. Uh, it does. It feels like there is some momentum there. But I'm also frustrated that the DOJ hasn't done more to accelerate the accountability as we consider voting rights and the attack on our democracy, like how are we feeling about that leg of the stool? Because it's the same attack. You know, the insurrection is the same attack as voter suppression is the same attack as abuse of the filibuster, frankly. But how, how are you feeling about the accountability portion of, of what's happened in the last year? Look, I'm bracing myself. Let's be real. The last time we got amped up about DOJ action under the Russia investigation, it was pretty lackluster, right? Like, so yeah. I'm bracing myself for the realistic frame that even though Merrick Garland says we're going to hold anyone accountable, no matter what level of position they've held or no matter how long it takes, I'm like, sir, <laughs> like your inability to say this is an active investigation, though I, I want to recognize for all the DOJ folks, yes, I know that's atypical for them to ever say that it's an active investigation or such and so is a target of investigation. The moment that this country is facing requires an equal opposing energy, right? Like it yes. needs that energy from the DOJ. You saying, well, it's not normal for the DOJ to announce these type of things. We need to buck that norm and make it clear about accountability coming because this attack is going to continue and it's happening every day. And yep. I've said, I said to Dean last night that the election in 10 months may be the last one we recognize without accountability right. because you better believe those calls will be made to secretaries of state. Those, those votes will not be counted and, 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 and the will of the voters reflected in election outcomes in, in future elections. Like this could be it. I think on the January 6th side, I see them gearing up, let's say, with this potential to bring Pence forward, uh, this clash with Jim Jordan, where he lied through his teeth, apparently, and said mm -hmm. he was ready to talk. He had nothing to hide. But now, now that the Select Committee has extended the courtesy of a chat, he's bottled up. And, I, and the Select Committee, I think they're being measured here in an in a intentional way because we know there's not precedent for subpoenaing other sitting members of Congress. We know there's not precedent for enforcing subpoenas against sitting members of Congress. And so the mess that I see brewing there is that, okay, say the select committee does escalate this to a subpoena, how are they going to enforce it? And that's not something that they want to get into because it shows their limited power here. It shows that they're, they're limited in their ability to get pure accountability here. And, what I think this comes down to, again, this is unusual times, call for unusual measures. Take the step, issue the subpoena, because we know, we know that the public deserves accountability for any member who helped to plot a coup attempt with a sitting president, no less. They should not be able to hold office. They should not be able to serve in Congress. That applies to Trump too, because without removing that, you better believe it just clears the pathway for the next smarter person to come in and do the exact same thing, but be successful this time. 
And that's what I'm scared of. So I'm, I'm like bracing myself for yep. final, final outcomes, but also trying to center myself in the reality of 2022 could be the last record. Uh, 2022 could be the last election that we recognize. Yeah. Juanita Tolliver, thank you for breaking this down with us this morning. It is a joy as always to talk to you. I'm sure that you'll be glued to the news for the rest of the day, just like we will. And we'd love to have you back to unpack it all at some point soon. Thank you. Of course, only if you play K-pop again. Come back oh, on yes. Tuesday. We always play K-pop and all, every Tuesday, yes. <laughs> thank you, Juanita. Please stay safe. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. 